Um, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part. Welcome. The rain didn't stop you guys. Look at your neighbor and say, we did it. We did it. That's right. Um, I, I literally uh, got soaked. I'm glad I'm wearing black pants today because you can't tell that they're completely wet. Um, and I did find out that the jacket I was wearing earlier was not water resistant. Thought it was. Not at all. Um, it was, it's, isn't it awesome when you just learn something every new, every, you know, every day you get to learn something new. Um, this series that we're going over, Monsters Within, we're talking about the monsters that lurk within our heart. And this may sound like a peculiar question to ask. Uh, is it wrong if children do not know or care about 9-11? I mean, we're, we're all a bit older, right? We're, we're not kids anymore. Do you, do you remember where you were when, you, when 9-11 happened? It was a traumatic event, shook our nation. I was in third grade. And I, it, I, I still understood and knew how like, deep, of a, deep of an event it was. I mean, I remember, who remembers like third grade, right? But I remember the classroom, I remember that day so specifically because it was such a tra- traumatic event. And I remember when we were youth pastors, there was a moment where we were doing like a small group. And I, I said that, I was like, like everyone knows where they were when 9-11 happened. And, and then this little girl was like, I was a baby. <laughs> I don't know anything about that. And she even said it with like some attitudes, like, all right. But it, it, it was something that, that kind of made me realize then that something that was such a monumental event in my lifetime wasn't for her. It made me think about Pearl Harbor. Like for me, Pearl Harbor was not a significant event because I wasn't alive. And so it wasn't as traumatic or emotional for me. And with this generation now, it's almost like with this, this, I mean, 9-11 was such a traumatic thing. And, and now it's been so desensitized because of time, because people not being able to participate in the trauma that now even comedians are starting to make jokes about it because the younger generation doesn't know or care about it. And I want you to think about this specific situation. Does it bother you to think that Younger, this younger generation or, or the kids nowadays, whatever you want to call it, do not know about it and don't even care about it. They don't even care to know. Does it bother you in your soul? Does it bother you in your heart? Does it trouble your mind? And moving into today's topic, we're, our, our title today is I don't know and I don't care. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know and I don't care. There's a, there's a, a, a class, a college class, where the professor was asking the students, what is your take on this generation's passivity and ignorance? And he asked one of the students, and the student answered, I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> passivity and ignorance. Passive and ignorant. You know, these are, are two labels that have plagued our generation. We are known as for being a generation that is passive and ignorant. Our culture today is filled with overwhelming opportunity and access to information. Yet our generation has been labeled as ignorant and unmotivated. I believe that passivity and ignorance are only puddles of a deeper source. And today I pray that the message inspires you to be courageous and bold 
to take action and put a stop to fear. And I want to share with y'all a short, a short story in the, in the book of Judges. I think it's a, very, it's a very interesting story, but it's in Judges chapter 9, verse 7 through 15. And reading from our bar scripture screen, it says, When Jotham heard about this, he climbed to the top of Mount Jezreel and shouted. And so before we go into the shout, what had just happened is his half-brother uh, took over as king, and in his first act of being king of the, this area, being lord of the people, he killed all of his half-brothers. Jotham is one that, that managed to escape. And so all the people agreed to do this. They said, yeah, sure, let's make you the king of this place. So he shouts, listen to me, citizens of Sheshem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, Should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the fig tree, You be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, Should I quit producing my sweet fruit just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the grapevine, You be our king. But the grapevine also refused saying, should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then all the trees finally turned to the thorn bush and said, come, you be our king. And the thorn bush replied to the trees, if you truly want me to be your king, come and take shelter in my shade. Remember, it's a thorn bush. If, you let, if, if not, let fire come out from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Let's pray real quick. God, I thank you for what you're doing today in our group. And I pray that this message be used to inspire people to bring about a deepening of faith. That you'd bring us to a deeper relationship with you, Jesus. And that we'd be motivated to be bold and courageous. And that you'd break chains of passivity and ignorance off of our lives. Break the chains of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know and I don't care. See, what's interesting about this story, I know it seems almost confusing at first. But what it's symbolizing is that when, when good and righteous people do not rise up to take responsibility, to the task of responsibility, if righteous and good people don't, then wicked people will. An example of this, a really simple example. Foster care is a beautiful thing. Foster care is such a helpful thing. But in our culture, we know that the majority of the stigma that comes with it is, is bad families that, that end up taking in foster kids. Of course, not every family is bad. There's a lot of really good-hearted people, but because of the stigma, because there's more bad than good, right? And it's a simple example of how when good people don't rise up to take action, wicked people will. And... There's, there's so many families, so many people that are able and better fitted to take care of kids like that, but they refuse. And so people who have lesser end up doing it. The, it's this, this verse, I mean, for me, this verse just really hits it on the head. And because when we wait for those 
for others to take responsibility. When we just wait it out and hide our heads in the sand, someone else will end up doing it. And so the first, the first point I have for us is passive. Someone look at your neighbor and say passive. If you want to say passive, you just look at them and shrug your shoulders. I'm going to read you all some verses. We have a lot of verses I'm going to go over real quick. But in Proverbs 26, 16, it says, Lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. The next verse in 12, 24 says, Work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave. These two verses is talking about talkers instead of walkers. That's what passivity does in us. It causes us to talk a lot, but not do a lot. Y'all recognize that in our generation? Anyone think about politics? <laughs> a lot of talking, not a lot of walking. And I'm talking specifically in our church, in, in, in the Christian world, this is where we need to rise up. It's far too long that Christians are just saying, oh yes, God bless you, but never blessing anyone out of themselves. Oh yes, I'll be praying for you, and they never even really pray for you. Anyone ever do that before? Yeah, I'll be praying for you, man. I got you. Next time you see them, they're like, hey, thanks for praying for me, man. And you're like, shoot. <laughs> you just something like, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. But in your head, you're like, man, I completely forgot about that. We talk the talk, but we don't walk it. The next verse in Proverbs 20, verse 4, it says, Those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Next verse in 23.13 says, The lazy person claims there's a lion out there. If I go outside, I might be killed. These two verses are talking about refuse, people who are refusing because of their excusing. We make excuses, and so that's why we don't take responsibility. Well, I can't do it. There's something bad might happen if I do it. There's too many, there's too many risks involved. I can't step up. How can I do that? No, I, I'll just stay back here. It, it's talking about those who, who refuse to, to plow in the right season won't be able to get a harvest. So many times we, we keep just putting it off because of our excuses as Christians and we think, well, next time, next time, next time. But there, what happens when there's never a next time? Can I share just real quick story? Real quick. Someone look at your neighbor and say, oh, here we go. <laughs> I... I, I used to live in a small town in Del Rio, and <laughs> all those in Del Rio said whoop whoop. Uh, and I remember there was a, a for, at the time I was working for my dad, I was delivering oil and tires, and there was this one shop that I would go out and, and make a, I had a route, so I'd go and talk to the owners and see if they needed resupply. Or, and this one day I showed up and there was this guy that I knew from high school. And I saw him, I was like, oh man, like, you know, that excited, like, hey, like, you just saw someone that you didn't expect, and talked to him, you know, for a couple seconds, I was like, all right, we'll see you later, have a good life, and, you know, I just saw, I'll, I'll see him here from now on, and I remember I was literally on my way to the truck, and everything in me was like God telling me, go back and invite him to church, and I was like, oh God, that is like way too weird now, I'm already at the truck, like, I can't do that. And I even got in the truck and I'm telling my heart was like turning within me. It was doing, it was like a discotheque in there with my heart just going all over the place. And finally, 
Got one laugh for the discotheque reference because it's 2018. Why would he say that? Um, finally, I was like, fine, fine. And, and I get out of the truck and I walk up and, and I see the guy. I'm walking up to him thinking like, this is going to be so weird, so awkward. And he goes in the restroom. I was like, oh, well, it's not meant to be. Sorry, God. Got back in the truck, peeled out. And the next time I saw him is like, again, God was like, why don't you invite him? Tell him something. And I was like, no, no, not, I, I got to let it come up organically. Like it's. He has to bring it up. Like, it has to be like that. For a couple of weeks that happened, I kept making excuses of why I couldn't do it. And then one day I show up and I, I don't see that guy anywhere. And I was like, no, well, maybe today is the day. And so I asked the owner, like, hey, where's that guy at? And I remember my, my knees almost started knocking when he told me, oh, you didn't hear over the weekend he died. And I remember my heart shook. I was like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, man, it was, it was horrible. The, the funeral's this day. and the, Yeah, it was a real tragic thing. And I remember I just like, I didn't even know what to say. I just kind of walked back to my car with this surreal feeling of knowing that God had told me to talk to somebody, but I refused because of the excuses I made. And now I'm not in any way saying that that guy never had anyone else to go tell the gospel to him or invite him to church or anything like that. But to know that I had the chance, the opportunity to do something, but I refused to do it because of my excuses. That's a scary thing. The, the next, the last verse in Proverbs in chapter 26, verse 15, it says, lazy people take food in their hand, but don't even lift it to their mouth. This might seem like a funny verse to you, but what it's showing is that Passivity is, leaves an insatiable appetite. You're always wanting something. You're always wanting more. But you're unwilling to eat what you already have. See, what it makes me think about is opportunity. Always looking for opportunity. Always look, well, if I had this much money, then I would do this. Well, I would really start doing this if I had this. Any, anyone ever think that? Well, man, if I, if I had a real job, if I had a good job, then it'd be different. Well, if I won the lottery, then, then my whole life would be different. Then I'd be able to actually do something. See, passivity leaves that appetite saying like, oh, yeah, I just need more opportunity. But you, passivity leads you with that kind of desire, but it also leaves you not willing to eat what's already in your hand. You have, you have an opportunity right in front of you, but you say, no, this food's not good enough. I'm not going to eat this. No, I'm waiting for something better. So passivity has lied to us all in thinking that things are completely out of our control. Yes, some things just happen, but oftentimes things are destroyed by neglect. The truth is you can do more with less if you simply add some hard work and elbow grease. Once you think about a car unmaintained, you could drive a car for so long, but if you don't maintain it, simple as putting oil in it. The simplest thing is just oil in a car. If you neglect it, it'll destroy the entire motor. It'll destroy the vehicle to where it's unusable just from mere neglectment. Think about the, the tires. You can have a blowout, have a horrible accident just out of simple neglectment. 
I'm using this as an illustration that just simple diligence can break the, the, the strongholds in our lives that we feel like we have no control over. There's three specific things that I want us to look into when it comes to our passivity. Someone, someone look at your neighbor and say, I ain't passive. And if you didn't turn to your neighbor, you might be doing the opposite. The very first thing that we need to look at when it comes to passivity is our marriage and our relationships. Let's talk about marriage. Everyone understands marriage to some extent, right? Even if you're not married, you can imagine what it would be like seen a movie of people married you know your parents if they were ever married at any given point in time you know your tia or uncle grandparent that was married marriage is a pretty good uh example of passivity think about when you're dating the person when i was dating lauren i was so (laughs) that's a portrait i was about to say aggressive but (laughs) i wasn't aggressive like that i was like aggressive in pursuing her she lived in San Antonio. I lived in Del Rio. And I would come. I would try to come every week and to come see her. And I would, I would, at first, I'd be like, I'm going to leave at 6 o'clock because I have a three-hour drive. And I, I need to be safe. And I need to be a good steward of my time. I need to be a good, like, responsible adult. And so at 1 o'clock in the morning, I would end up driving back. Because I, could, I just could not leave her. It's like my... My mind was telling me to leave, but my body said, <laughs> so yes, stay. Just stay a little bit longer. And I remember I would, I, would, I would make it a point to try to get her flowers as often as I could. The very first date we had, I would get her flowers. And we'd go on dates all the time. Every time we were with each other, we'd go on a date. I would intentionally pay for our date because I wanted to, to invest in the our relationship. Now that we've been married, it's real easy after you get married to, to all of a sudden let that neglect settle in and all of a sudden just simple time can spread you guys apart. And we had to, we had to do something once we got married. We had to implement date night. Someone say date night. It's like, we got to have a date night because we got work every day of the week and I still want to have those special moments with you. Then we had our our first baby, Joy. Someone say Joy. Joy. That's her name. Yeah. See, I do that kind of stuff to keep y'all engaged. (laughs) And our baby, you know like those stories about like how you hear people say like, oh, our baby just sleeps all through the night, never cries. She's so good. That's not our kid. (laughs) When our baby was coming out of the womb, the doctor looked up at me and said, you got a stubborn kid here. I looked back at him and said, yeah, well, she gets that from both her parents. (laughs) And even yesterday, we had the girls' night, and I was taking care of Joy, and there's just, you know, babies, there's times where they just don't. They just don't like one of the parents. She likes me and all, but usually she only likes me when Lauren's around. <laughs> and so for the first like 30 minutes, she, I put her down. She fell asleep. I was like, yes, yes. Thank you, God. Like, this is God. That, like, we're, like, this is good. We can do this. I had the bottle prepared, ready to go. And all of a sudden, she woke up. She hated me. <laughs> <laughs> She realized 
my anatomy was different than my wife's. Tell right away that the milk that I was trying to give her was not from the same place. And she refused to take the bottle. She refused. You might think, no, Homer, you just got to do it the right way. I, I'm telling you, I tried. I tried. I prayed. I, I did everything I possibly could. And then I, it got to a point where I just realized I, I, I'm going to just have to wait this out. You ever just like waiting in the car thinking, man, this rain is going to stop eventually and just pours harder? <laughs> that was me last night. I text Lauren like, yeah, just let you know she is awake. <laughs> It's okay. Got things under control. Next text. Are you coming home soon? (laughs) Just miss you. (laughs) Is everything okay? (laughs) Haven't heard from you. (laughs) And finally, my daughter, she, she, she was yelling at me. Okay. And I'm telling you, I'm not a bad parent. There's just, I was helpless. I was helpless. And she literally started screaming at the top of her lungs. And, and I tried to do one last comforting thing, which she hated. And she literally swatted my hands away, looked at me with a glare, and then started screaming while staring at me in the face and then throwing her head back and shaking. <laughs> and I, I, all I could do was just sit there and take it. It was horrible. And she let out one last final scream, like, ah! Like she went super saiyan. And then she passed out. <laughs> That, thank God. Because <laughs> I, I don't know who was going to pass out first. <laughs> you know, we're just waiting it out. The whole point of that story is that ever since we had our baby, it's been super difficult for us to find a date night. It's been difficult. And we could easily make an excuse and saying, well, we just can't have time together. That's it. But even the other day, it. It, it, was, uh, it was, I think it was Wednesday or something, I don't know, Thursday maybe, and you, we, even like because of our schedules, we've been go- one of us has been going to the grocery store and the other one has been managing the house, and this day, all the kids were out and it's just us and Joy, and, and we said, well, why don't we just go to the grocery store together, and for us, it was like we were excited because we got to spend a little bit of time together. And I told my wife, you know, I, I love being able to do life with you because ordinary things become special when you're around. That's where everyone says, oh, the, the point I'm making is that we have to be intentional about the romance in our marriage. We have to be intentional about the relationships that we have with others. I remember hearing someone say in a separate conversation someone was telling someone well I'm my wife does this and I'm this and she just doesn't get it and someone's advice to them was well you know the grass is always greener on the other side and then the person said yeah well the grass over here is burnt <laughs> dang right <laughs> spouses are looking at their <laughs> mm-hmm. and the, the truth is that saying is just an analogy right but it is a really good analogy because grass gets burned when you don't water it. If you know anyone that takes care of their lawn, any relative, they work hard at it. It isn't just miraculously happen. like, wow, praise God. Like, it's like the grass had manna on it. It just happened this way. 
No, they, they were, you see them like every week, weed eating, like watering, and you're just like, and what are you doing? You're just going, you're about to go get McDonald's. <laughs> like, oh shoot, I always see them out there. They have like their professional mower. And you're like, dang, man, they, they got a good yard out there. And you're just inside watching Netflix. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm probably not going to be that good at keeping care of my grass because I don't like being outside just working, right? But what happens is that we think that it just happens for other people and, and that it just doesn't happen for us. We don't see all the hard work that goes into that marriage. We don't see all the hard work that goes into that family. We don't see all the hard work that happens behind the scenes and we just assume oh well that they're just lucky they're just lucky to have a good marriage they're just lucky to have uh, good parents they're just lucky they're just lucky it it takes work it takes forgiveness it takes redemption think about the our forgiveness for god what did it take it took jesus everything on the cross to make a way for our relationship with him you know, just some other spots to go over. I think marriage is the most important thing that we need to stop being passive about. We need to, re- we need to remember the date nights, all the struggles that we were willing to do just to marry that person, just to be with that person. We need to start reapplying some of the things we used to do. When it comes to our jobs, they, they play favorites here. They usually favor the person that works harder. <laughs> Can you, can't you honestly say that? Yeah, there's sometimes where it's just like, like, oh, that they like that. I've I gotten fired from a job before because I knew that the, someone just didn't like me. I, I knew it. I worked harder than everybody else, but I, it still happened. But the most of the time, someone say the most of the time. Isn't it the guy that always is like that annoying person that's like, oh, I can do that. And you're like, yeah, you would. You would jump at the opportunity to do something because you're just kissing butt. Working hard is kissing butt, right? <laughs> it, if even in our own jobs, we, there's there's opportunities that can come if we just put some hard work and elbow grease to it. You know why so many of us uh, feel like we're failing at our jobs is because we're not present in our minds when we're present at the job. All we're thinking about is when we can leave. All we're thinking about is what what it's like when we're not there. And so we can't be effective or efficient because our minds aren't in it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? If you would simply commit to whatever job you have right now and stop thinking about the job that you wish you had, you just commit to it and say to yourself, this is what I got and I'm going to do my best at it. You will feel more peace than, than just waiting there thinking, man, just waiting for the lotto of jobs. Just, if I could just get a job to follow my lap, then my life will be happy. You can find satisfaction where you're at right now, but it takes you to commit to it, to invest your own effort and work into it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And the final thing about passivity is our spiritual and biblical application and knowledge. Church it should not be the one and only place that you learn about God. Church should not be the one and only place that you experience God. In our culture today, church, uh, Christianity, our spiritual lives, we are the only religion 
that is so passive and neglectful of our spiritual connection with God. Look at every other religion. I mean, there's people that knock... It's raining like this. They're knocking on doors, spreading their their gospel. there's, There's other religions that they devote their entire lives to just praying at certain times, facing certain ways. They're so detail-oriented in their, in, their, in their works. And we, have, we, we found this amazing truth of being saved by grace through Jesus Christ that we know these people are, are trying to earn their way to heaven while we've learned that Jesus is the simple and only way to heaven. And yet we've thrown off all restraints. So, well... That means I, I won't do anything bad, but I won't do anything good either. Well, yeah, at least I'm not a bad person. I acknowledge that I'm not a good person, but at least I'm not a terribly bad person. I mean, it is, there's, there's God is infinitely knowable. Think about that. Infinitely knowable. You could spend your entire life searching for him and you can find him every day and still learn more and experience more. That there's not a point that you could ever say, I've experienced the most amazing presence of God and there's no greater than this. I've, I've maxed out. You'll never experience, you, that can never happen. You have a most amazing experience, the next day you can have even a better one. But yet, we as Christians have grown so passive where we completely throw off any kind of spiritual a- uh, obligation. So we're even just doing like a reading plan. Reading the Bible once a day is a daunting task. Well, I will binge watch the new season of Iron Fist on Netflix, but I just do not have time to read an eight-minute reading plan. I just can't do it. I can't fit it in my schedule. I'll spend 35 minutes on the toilet scrolling through Instagram or Facebook or updating my clan on Clash of Clans, but I cannot find any time to read the Bible. It's just impossible. I'm just way too busy. We spend so much effort on our entertainment. Infinity Wars came out. I bought my tickets in advance. Then my baby was born the day before. I was so upset. And my wife is so graceful and so merciful that the following week I was able to go see Infinite Warfare or Infinite War, Infinity Wars and leave my baby, my newborn first time baby at home with her mama. Some of y'all are like, wow, I just made a judgment about you, Homer. <laughs> but see, I, it, it was something that I wanted and I was willing to do anything to get it. That's one thing my wife has learned about me is that I can be very responsible with my money. I mean, very diligent. Y'all know, anyone ever hear like the Dave Ramsey plan where you like put money into envelopes and separate your bills like that. It's like being really diligent. Like when you, when you hear it, you're like, oh, that's amazing. I was doing that before I ever found out about Dave Ramsey. I was diligent. But there's times where I just, I just want to get a new TV. <laughs> and the week before, I could literally tell my wife, no, we can't. We don't have it in the budget. We d- I'm sorry, baby. I love you. You know I do, but we got to be responsible. Next week, I have a desire. It's like, baby, don't worry. I, I, I know exactly how we could do it. Trust me. I work with the money. I know what I'm doing. We can do this. I, I can make it all work out. And 
because I have a desire for it. I will, I'm will, I, you know, I, I can even do, I can take on a side job for a couple weeks and then that will supplement it. That will make it all better. I'm willing to do it for me, but it's for some reason we don't, we don't put that same effort in God. In our biblical knowledge, even just, even just learning about the Bible. I mean, have you ever had a point where you heard something and you thought to yourself, well, that doesn't sound biblically correct. If you have not thought of that, then you need to write, read your Bible more. Like literally. If you have not questioned even something ever, thinking, well, that, that doesn't sound like that's what the Bible meant right there. Then you need to read the Bible more. You, you should have your own developed opinions and, and thoughts and even questions about the Bible. And the Bible has so many answers for you, but you don't even have a spot to question because you don't read it. And that's why there's so many atheists and people who are against the Bible that they could just bring something to you and you're like, oh shoot, I don't know about that one. You should ask the pastor. Each one of us should be able to answer someone on our own. And I'm not talking about answering them like mean either. Like, well, you know what? You can go to hell for asking that. Like, no, of course not. But we should be able to answer in gentleness and, and, and out of love for the questions that people have. And, and in the book of Peter, it says that we should always give a, an answer to those who have questions about our faith. But if you can't articulate an answer, if you can't even have no idea what to say, then you need to get in the Bible more. Y'all dig what I'm saying? We, we need to have some spiritual application of our lives. If the only time that you pray is before you eat, you should try to find a little bit more time for prayer. Especially if that prayer is just like, God, thank you for this food. Amen. God is great. God is good. Father, we thank you for this food. Amen. That was my kid prayer when I was little. But now I pray like an adult, right? We need to put the child ways behind us and grow in our faith. Can't pray like kids anymore. We need to pray like adults. Someone say ignorant. ignorant. The pastor's just ignorant. He doesn't know what it's like to be me. Ignorant. Someone say ignorant. Ignorant. It's like an oxymoron because you're saying it incorrectly, but you don't know. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, it, it says that for the lack of knowledge, God's people perish. For the lack of knowledge, God's people perish. I didn't have that on the screen. I just, it's so short, I just thought I'd say it to y'all. For the lack of knowledge, God's people perish. When you follow the history of Israel in the Old Testament, you see that the people literally rise super close and connected with God. They're serving Him. And all of a sudden, it seems like the next chapter, they fall completely away from Him. It's like from generation to generation, it's up and down, up and down. And you almost think like, man, why can't they just get it? How come they, how come they just can't stay the same? And every time the nation fell away from God is because they are ignorant of the Scriptures of God. They started neglecting the simple truths of God. One by one, one little detail here, one little detail here, one, one church day here, one Sunday here, and all of a sudden they're not going at all to the tabernacle. They're not going at all to the temple. And it's the simple lack of knowledge of their God 
that led them to be completely leave God as a nation. In our generation today, we, our, our nation was literally formed by Protestants that literally founded the country with the, with the desire to be able to have the freedom of religion because they were tired of the, the, the tyrant King George. They, they, it was founded on that and now, because of the lack of knowledge, because, the, uh, because of parents after parents after parents giving out a little bit less, a little bit less, a little bit less every generation. Before, it's like, no, we, like, it's law we go to church. I'm not saying, like, I, I want us to go back to the way things used to be, okay? I like wearing, I like my wife wearing pants, okay? But what I'm saying is, when it comes to our spiritual application, we gave out a little bit less. Before it was like law to go to church. Then it was like we go to church and then it turns into, well, we can go to church, but you don't have to go if you don't want to, but we're going to go to church. And then it goes to, well, we go to church every now and then. Then it goes to, we go to church on Easter and Christmas. And then it goes to, well, we watch it, TBN, every now and then. And it's your decision if you want to go to church or not. And every kid takes less and less of biblical and spiritual applications where we get a generation now that's like, well, why do we even have this church stuff? I mean, think about it. What, why, why, why are people so against church nowadays? Because church has expected obedience without any relationship. Church expects obedience without any relationship. You don't even come to church, but you have to obey the laws of this church. Oh, you can't come up in here like that. That's why so many people rebel against church. I don't want to have anything to do with church. I don't even know y'all like that. But uh, church people, it's been like, no, you got to do it this way, even though we have no relationship with the people that don't come. We have no spiritual obligation to each other. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Because we're ignorant of people's lives. Why do we have an online service? Just so that we could be trendy on Wednesdays? No. It's that too, but no. It's because I'm well aware that people have jobs that have way more hours than it used to be. Jobs are no longer just 9 to 5, right? Even 9 to 5 jobs are now 8 to 7. It's different. And I know from experience what it's like to be super duper tired. Maybe Wednesday is that one day that you get got off early. And I know that it's a struggle for you to for you to drive across town or drive to us in the rain and say, well, I made it to church. It can be more of an obligation than a blessing, right? And so what did we do? He said, well, let's make it easier for people. Instead of making them feel obligated and making them feel guilty if they don't show up, why don't we just make it incredibly easier by doing an online service? Because I'm not ignorant of people's lives. I'm not ignorant of, that, of the fact that people have jobs that, are, are, that have way more hours than possibly me. If I'm super tired on Wednesdays and it's difficult for me to go out and plan a whole thing, I could only imagine how it is for other people. Some say ignorant. 
Let me read y'all Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Next is James chapter 3, verse 13 and 8 through 18. It says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Stop right there. Go back. This verse is saying don't, don't cover it up with, with boasting and lying. You know, I, I got to be honest. When I read this, I, maybe you feel differently, but I, I thought a lot about church. What, what do most people say about church? It's judgmental. I don't feel accepted there. I feel like everyone's just like holier than now. Right? That's what people usually say. Us being in church, in this church, we're all different, right? Right? But look, look how it says that. If there is selfish ambition in your heart, if there's bitter jealousy, I got to be honest. I've been in ministry for a minute now, and that sounds a lot like church leaders. Bitterly jealous of one another. Well, how come they made him the worship leader? How come they get to do the announcements? Bitterly jealous. Selfish ambition. I remember asking a kid if he could lead a small group one time. And I was like, how do you feel about that? He's like, well, I think it's a, man, it's a great opportunity. And I kind of was like, take him back. He's like, opportunity? For what? It's like, he didn't know what to say because he knew it was just an opportunity for him to elevate himself among his peers. Ambition. Selfishness. That's like, what if I just wanted to start a church and have all you gathered together here just so that y'all thought I was awesome? Right? Wouldn't that be just sick? Wouldn't that be disgusting? That's what selfish ambition is. <coughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to church and I'm going to, even though I don't ever dress like this, I'm going to dress suit and tie because I want everyone else to think that I'm so much more successful than them. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress this way or do things this way because I, I want other people to think this day that I'm just like super saint, holier than now. I want everyone to see how great I am. It says, you're, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. Oh, no, brother. Oh, no, sister. That's, no, that's not what it is. No. Have you ever heard someone do a, a humble brag? Humble brag? There's this, I saw the other day this, this person that I know, and they put a picture on the gram of themselves. It's a really cool picture. It's a picture of themselves during worship. It looked amazing. Like this. Man, wow, they're so passionate. <laughs> They're so passionate. Wow, they love God. And then put a scripture verse underneath. It's like they, they were saying that themselves were the exemplary part of this verse. Like they are, they are this verse. They're talking about themselves in this picture. And I thought, it, like people can do that. I don't care. But I just thought, man, isn't that like the epitome of church? Of just lifting up yourself in front of others. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Y'all feel that? Anyone ever see something like that before? The next verse. The next verse in James chapter 3, 
verse 15. I want you guys to, to wait in suspense because this is a really powerful part of the verse. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. What? I thought that was like issues of the heart. He's talking about it's issues of wisdom. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. That's interesting. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. You know, let's, let's break these verses down. You know, we're talking about ignorance. And that, verse, that first verse we read in Proverbs, it says that the fear of God is the foundation of wisdom. So another version would say the reverence of God. The acknowledgement of God is the foundation of wisdom. And what that means is that acknowledging that there's a creator, that creation has a creator, is step one. The minute that you give your life to Christ, you immediately become smarter. Because you acknowledge a truth. You acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you need a Savior. So that simple acknowledgement immediately elevates you in your wisdom. Y'all get what I'm going with this? And I'm not, I'm not saying that all Christians are super smart. I've met some really dumb Christians, okay? Some people just said, dang. But... What I'm saying is that that simple acknowledgement puts you at a greater spot in wisdom. Because in the book of Romans, it tells us that every person deep within their heart knows that God exists. He says that, it says that creation is the, the illustration of a creator. In other words, a building shows that there is a builder. And, and the Bible tells us, I mean, and people will, will tell us all that. No, that, that's not true. I don't believe that at all. 100% atheist. No, no. But the Bible tells us that deep within their soul, there is the, the true knowing that God exists. That's why most, most went Mike Tyson right there, most atheists. That's why most atheists, they're aggressive in their beliefs. I'm not saying all. It's not just a simple, like, no, I don't really believe in that. It's more of like an aggressive, like, no, how could you believe in that? How could you believe in a God that will do this? See how it's like anger, a hatred, a bitterness there? How could could they be so mad at, at someone that doesn't exist? That's like me making an imaginary friend and saying, I hate that guy. How could he... How could he do that to me? My imaginary friend, Fluffawuckles. How could he do that? It'd be, it would be ridiculous, right? Ludicrous. Not even kids get mad at their imaginary friends. They just blame them for stuff. Oh, she, yeah, he, he ate the cookies. I told him, don't do that. And my imaginary, he, made, he ate them. Not even kids get mad at their imaginary friends. And so how is it that that people who claim that they do not believe in God at all are so angry at Him. Y'all get what I'm saying? And so acknowledging God in your heart is a first step of knowledge. 
And what that requires, what that what that means is that instead of looking for evidence against the Bible, you all of a sudden you look through the lens of the Bible, and the evidence then becomes supportive to it. Y'all dig what I mean? There's two kinds of sciences. There's historical science and observational science. Observational science means that you can see it happening. Historical science means that you have to assume what happened over time. We could look at how simple, simple bacteria and simple organisms are all at the bottom of the surface, showing that the more complicated organisms like whales and, and animals are all at the top, but the simple ones like amoeba are all at the bottom. Evolutionists say, well, there is no God, so that means that over time, we started from the simplest bacteria and we grew more and more complicated through evolution. While someone who believes in the Bible as a basis of knowledge can look at that and say, well, if there was a great flood like the Bible says, and knowing that all more complicated organisms float to the top and simple ones like simple bacteria sink to the bottom, well, that would explain that. Y'all get what I'm saying? That's like a short history lesson. Biology. Is that biology? <laughs> yeah, Homer, good one. <laughs> Talk about ignorance. <laughs> Fear of God. The start of true knowledge is a simple acknowledgement of God and the Bible. All right. God and the Bible. That's number one. Someone say God, God. and the Bible. Bible. Not Bible. Bible. If you said Bible, that might be ignorant. Or Bible. So the only way that you can avoid being ignorance from the Bible is by reading it yourself. It's good to listen to podcasts and teachings about Scripture. It's good. But there's nothing like being able to read it for yourself and making an educated decision based off of what you read. Y'all dig what I'm saying? you got to read the Bible. Look at your neighbor and say, we should start reading. We should do it. See, even you said that. And now look, this next spot, is gonna, someone say it's going to get a little fuzzy. And I'm not talking about the fuzzy feeling in your heart. I'm talking about fuzzy like, ah, like radiostatic fuzzy. And so we need to know God in the Bible first off, 100%. Y'all feel that? That's number one priority. After that, we have to stop being ignorant of politics, policies, and people. Because everyone should vote for blank. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We have to be knowledgeable of our country and our nation. We need to know what's going on. It's been far too long that Christians have just put their head in the sand and said, well, I, you know, I don't like to mess with that kind of stuff. No, we live here, don't we? we we're not in heaven yet. We've got to be here for a while. Unless Jesus comes tomorrow, then yeah, woo! He's coming on the clouds right now, then Great. But until then, we got to act like we're going to be here for a minute. And, and if we, just like this, the first verse we shared, if we don't rise up and take a stand on things, wicked people will. If we don't make stand for things that are right, wicked people will make stands for what is wrong. It's time for us to be more diligent with the country that we live in. And I'm not saying being hateful, being, being blah, blah, blah. I'm talking about being, just like I said before, 
and gentleness and goodness. I mean, simple thing like voting yourself. I mean, I'll be honest, and this is not a political stance in any way. But this last election, I was kind of just like, what the? F- <laughs> what? I didn't like either one of them. <laughs> but there's some people that say, well, I don't really like either one of them, so I'm just not going to vote. That's putting your head in the sand. You still have to, if you're choosing between the devil that you know and the devil that you don't, you still got to just choose. Y'all dig what I'm saying? You, you got to play your part. And you have to live with the consequences. Y'all get what I mean? But that doesn't mean you can just go and, and just vote for whoever your Christian friend voted for. You need, to, you need to do some research yourself. Get some knowledge about the, the politics yourself. Who, does, who stands for what? So that you can make a decision based on your values. Y'all dig what I'm saying? You need to be, we need to, as Christians, to stop being ignorant of politics. We need to stop being ignorant of policies. We need to be aware of what's going on in our city, in our nation. Policies that affect us, affect people, even if it doesn't affect us, if it's going to affect the next generation. We need to be knowledgeable and stop putting our heads in the sand. We need to be people that take responsibility for our citizenship and our social duty to vote. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Y'all feel that? And then, knowledge, uh, finally, being knowledgeable of people. Knowledgeable of people. We, we need, when it, comes to, when it comes to the fear of God, we, we need knowledge of the Bible. We need knowledge of politics. We need knowledge of policies. But we need to know people, too. I mean, how often does it go that there's people in church, in our church, that we know nothing about their lives? We cannot be just the average church that where we just come on Sundays and leave saying, God bless you, high fives to everybody, God bless, yeah, definitely love that donut, great sermon, Homer. Right? Because everyone tells me that. <laughs> we... We need to know about our people's lives. How can you pray for somebody if you don't know anything about them? And I'm not talking about these baby prayers. We're talking about adult prayers. Like God, help them to get that job they applied for. How would you know about that unless you talk to that person? God, help them with with their family going through these issues right now. Help them with their parents. I know that their, their parents are getting a divorce. Help them with this. I know that so-and-so and so-and-so and such-and-such. And such. How can you know anything unless you talk to somebody? We need to pray for each other, but we need to pray for real. That's why people don't pray, because they don't know how to be effective. You can be effective by being intentional. Don't just throw up a baby prayer saying, God, I bless them. What does that mean? Bless them how? With a pizza? If you, order, if you order Papa John's pizza, let's say Domino's pizza because they're kind of weird right now. You're ordering Domino's pizza. If you call Big John's pizza and just say, hey, I want a pizza and hang up the phone. <laughs> they're probably not going to make that pizza for you. They don't even know what kind of pizza you want. You want pepperoni? You want ham? Do you want cheese on it? 
You want pepperoni and ham? You want a small, medium, large? You want the party size? How are they going to know if you don't give them some details? We put more details in ordering pizza than we do praying for others. That's a dang moment, right? (laughs) Put more effort in ordering a Starbucks coffee drink, which I don't drink Starbucks coffee because I think their coffee tastes like used cigarette buds. But if you drink Starbucks coffee, oh, (laughs) my bad. Starbucks is amazing. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry, man. (laughs) If, If you go, you put more effort in making a Starbucks drink, I want soy. I want froth, a little bit of whipped cream on the top. I want an extra shot. Then you do for just praying for someone that you're sitting right next to. Doesn't that, shouldn't that be a little sobering to us? We, we just get so lost in ourselves that we don't ever even think about someone else. And the final thing we need to be knowledgeable about is our History. History in general. Someone say history. 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 Did you know that the Bible is composed of a lot of history? Think, why did they include all the history of Israel? So that we can learn from it. I used to think when I was a kid that history was the most unnecessary uh, subject that you have to study. Because it's like, like, you don't do anything to it. You just memorize it. You just learn it. Like, to me, that's not even learning. It's just memory. What's the point of it? But then I learned that the reason that we need to know history is so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Right? Then he's like, oh, that makes sense. Can I tell you a real fast story? This one's real fast. Someone say yes. Yes. Thank you. Oh, sure. (laughs) There's once a mom and a daughter, and she's making... This roast, cut off both ends of the pan to put it in the pan. And the daughter asks, how come you cut off both ends like that? So, well, I don't know. I, my mom just always did that. So she kind of got curious and she called grandma and said, hey, how come, how come you always cut off the ends of the roast before putting it in the pan? I said, well, that, geez, that's just how my mom always did it. So luckily they were able to call great-grandma and say, all right, look, we, we are really curious. How come you would do that? We've been doing it all these years. And said, oh, I just didn't have a pan big enough, so I'd have to cut off both ends. <laughs> they all thought that's just how you have to do it. And see, if we don't know our history, we'll either make two mistakes. We'll continue doing things that we don't understand why we're doing them. Or we'll completely throw off the things that we should do because we don't know why we're doing them. Both are equally dangerous. We need to know our history of the Bible. We need to know our history as Christians. We need to know our history as a country. We need to know our history as families and people. It's important or we will continue to just make the same mistakes. But you know when difference is made? When, when you can really make a difference is when you go out of the ordinary and choose to be different because you know why you're doing it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Someone say, I dig that. So with all this talk about, about ignorance, 
I want you to also know that it's okay to be innocent. There's a blessing. It, 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 it's, there's a blessing that comes with just being innocent of evil. You don't have to find out. You don't have to. It's okay to be ignorant of the latest Cardi B song. Okay. <laughs> I, I recently found out who Cardi B was. My wife told me. I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. That Edward and Julian, they've been telling me all the updated rappers and the crazy ways they spell their name. I was like, I didn't even know that person existed. I didn't. That song really stinks. I don't know why you listen to that. <laughs> it's the lamest song I've ever heard. Juice World. <laughs> but it's okay to be innocent of those things. You don't have to know every evil thing going on. I'm talking about it. But being ignorant of every, you know, there's just a level. I hope y'all get what I'm saying. Someone say perspective. Perspective. We must look outside of ourselves in order to find deeper understanding. We must look outside of ourselves in order to find deeper understanding. No other person in the world is just like you. Your upbringing is completely different than somebody else. You can respect that, right? If we do not allow ourselves to look outside a perspective of our individual worldview, we will be limited in our effectiveness to make a difference. I want you to think back when Martin Luther King caused this great march through Selma, Alabama. And if you can watch a movie, look through history, there is not just black people marching, but there was white people marching too. Why would they do that? Because even then, those white people were able to look outside of their perspective of a worldview and understand just a glimpse of what it would be like to not be white. And so they were willing to march alongside hand in hand and even being beaten hand in hand like the rest of those people. And because they were willing to look outside of their perspective, of their worldview, they were able to contribute in making a difference. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Perspective goes hand in hand with leaving ignorance behind. And with perspective, you can still have perspective without having to be persuaded out of your belief. There's... Good perspective. It's always going to be good to have perspective. But not every perspective that you get is necessarily good. There's, I can understand something that is evil or a desire to be wicked. I can understand that. I can understand someone doing drugs. I can understand someone wanting to join a gang. And I can have compassion and understand that. But that doesn't have to mean that I support it now. This is a huge mistake that we have been making as Christians. The moment that we understand the perspective, we just throw off restraint and say, well, I understand. Well, I just got to let them do what they... If that's, what, if that's how they find peace. No. Someone say no. Just because you understand it doesn't mean that you have to support it. I can definitely understand the perspective... It doesn't make it right, though. An indigenous tribe that that kills that has no idea of medicine 
That every time someone gets sick, even with the flu, they kill them so that it doesn't spread. I can understand that. But I don't have to support it because I can help them with some truthful information. There's actually NyQuil. It'll help this. Y'all dig what I'm saying? There's, there's, there's penicillin. There's, I don't know any medical stuff. I'm just saying stuff. But, y'all, but that's literally what we're doing in our culture. We allow relative, uh, relativism to cause us to throw off responsibility and say, well, I understand that perspective, so I just won't do anything. If you have a, an antidote to help, why wouldn't you give it? We have an antidote of Jesus Christ. We have an antidote of morality. We have an antidote of God. But we say, well, I don't want to be offensive. If it, if, if it was medicine, would you give it even though it might have seemed offensive? If someone was walking the street and you saw a bus coming about to hit them, you say, well, I mean, I don't want to be rude and push them out of the way. No, that, I'll be imposing. That'd be ridiculous. And that's what we've been doing as Christians. Like, well, that's their thing. Poof! That was their, that was their bad. I couldn't do anything about it. You know, the Bible has a, a prophet, Ezekiel, and God tells the prophet Ezekiel, you must go tell them this prophecy. You must go tell them this message because if not, I will hold you accountable for their death. We have, as Christians, we have a responsibility to do what's right. Someone say, it's on me. You can have a conversation with someone and what I, my, my best go-to line is like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. I acknowledge your perspective. I just don't agree with it. Ever have those office conversations, those office arguments, those family cookouts where someone has a completely different view than you? You know, I understand what you're saying. I just, I just don't agree with it. Your foundation for perspective must be laid in Christ or you will be swayed by the winds of the times. Culture always changes. Culture always changes. Culture always changes. Even our culture right now, it seems like everything's new. We're doing stuff that they used to do back in Greece, back way ancient times. It's just repeating itself. History repeats itself. Culture will always be changing, and we will too unless we lay our perspective in Christ. Someone say, I dig that. And so the final thing, and I mean it, this is the final, final thing, okay? Someone say, afraid. I'm afraid that this isn't the final thing. I told you at the beginning that passivity and ignorance are only puddles of a fire hydrant that is spewing out water. I believe that one of the main causes of these things is fear. Fear is what has enabled our generation to passivity and ignorance. We hide from truth because knowing it will force us to choose whether or not to act. So instead, we just hide from the problem. Let me read y'all 2 Timothy verse, chapter 1, verse 6-7. This is why I remind you to fan the flames, the spiritual gift, fan into the flames of the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. 
You notice, leave that verse up. You notice that Christians are most like loud when they're around other Christians. You ever been to a church where it's like stomping and hollering? Yeah, go on! But you go to work and you're like, well, God will get them. You whisper God at work, but you shout it at church. Is that not described most Christians nowadays? Timidity. Timid about your faith. Timid about your, your beliefs. Well, I just don't want to say anything because I don't want to offend anyone. That's timid. Why should you be afraid? They're so bold with theirs. I hate God. I love God. <laughs> be a little more bold. God didn't give you timidity. God didn't give you this fear of responsibility. That's what it is. In this verse, Paul is talking to Timothy, who is a young disciple of Paul, who is all of a sudden going to have to be a pastor of a church, and he's younger than everybody else. He's saying, don't be afraid of the responsibility. Don't be timid just because of your age. There's power in you. There's, there's a, you have a discipline and a self-control that people need to hear about. And you need to show it to others. Courage is the flame that must be fanned. It's not easy to be courageous. It's not easy to be bold. It's something that you have to give life to. It's something that you have to fan the flame of. Just like at the barbecue with the crushed up Bud Light box. Or the charcoal. Y'all know what I'm talking about. (laughs) We must rise up as men and women of faith who are not shy of responsibility. Far too long have we as Christians been only thinking of ourselves, our own problems. We must live out this verse and change. Someone say change. We are made to make a difference. Someone say, I am made to make a difference. I am made to make a difference. But fear of responsibility and action will stop you from your purpose. Responsibility is, is hidden. Responsibility is so, is so right in our face, but we hide from it. Opportunity is hidden behind responsibility. That's why we never get any opportunities because we don't want the extra responsibility. Y'all dig what I'm saying? What opportunities are staring you in the face? Are, is it the sim- simple thing at work? Or is it the simple thing within your marriage to make it better? Maybe within the relationship with your parents. I hate my dad. I never want to be like my mom. Maybe you need to be responsible for that relationship and forgive them before they had to forgive you. Why don't you take the responsibility and lead in that redemption with your family. But no one wants to be the first one to do it. God has given us courage. If you're feeling afraid, pray to God for courage. God has given us selflessness, a mandate of selflessness. What is love? In that verse, it's talking about selflessness. Love is selfless. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Love is selfless. Love puts other needs 
ahead of your own. Selfless. One of the most powerful things that God has given us is choice. Each of us have a choice to take a stand. Each of us have a choice to accept responsibility of tasks, of works that need to be done, and of the pursuit of knowledge. You are responsible for you. That is a baseline of maturity. When you can be responsible for your own spiritual life. To where you, you can feel content in your personal readings of the Bible. In your personal prayer time. That is the baseline of maturity. A, a maximized level of maturity. Which is what God calls Christians to. Baby Christianity is being mature, responsible for yourself. Mature, developed Christianity is not being just responsible for yourself, but being responsible for others. You ever see a family, or you see a kid, and you think, well, they just need this. Well, they just need someone to help them. They just need someone to teach them the ropes. See, we all see needs like that all the time. We see a need, but no one wants to take a step to act. No one wants to do the grit, the work. Christianity is not butterflies and rainbows and unicorns, even though all that stuff is in there. It is something that's gritty and difficult and hard to do. Jesus said that he is the narrow way. Many fall off the path that he is the only way. It's because once you become a Christian, storms come. It gets more difficult. Jesus promised us our life would become more difficult. But he said that with that difficulty, that there's a peace that surpasses every storm. I want everyone here to bow your heads and close your eyes. Every single one of us need to rise up and taking responsibility. We need to have the mentality of the buck stops here. That if there's a need in this church, we don't get passed around from family to family thinking, well, maybe they'll help, maybe they'll help, maybe they'll help. We should think, if it comes to my hands in front of me, I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to step up. I'm going to take care of this. But maybe you're here and you need to make the first choice of putting your trust and acknowledgement in Jesus Christ. If that's you here today and you're ready to make that choice, let your foundation be laid in Christ. Trust in Him. I want you to raise your hand. Every head bowed and eye closed. Raise your hand. Amen. So now what I want you to do is I want you to think about someone that needs Christ. I want every single one of you to think about someone who needs Jesus in their life, who needs a change. If you can't think of someone that needs Christ in their lives, then you need to think about a Christian who has a need in their life. If you can't think of anybody, then you need to get more involved in people's lives. You need to start asking God, who do I need to pray for right now, God? 
do I need to pray for? And right now, I want you to start praying for them. It's right there to yourself. Don't worry about anyone else hearing you. Start praying for that person. Pray for that person right now. Pray for the change to happen. Pray for the difference to be made. Pray for something new. 